Well, it's good to see everybody. Happy spring break. It's 48 degrees outside. What a spring. Uh, but I'm still feeling all the effects of the pollen that is falling all over the place, and I can barely see. So I have very... Look how big my, the letters of my notes are. You can see them from out there, can't you? I got to be able to see. So uh, if you don't know, my name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here. We are in our final week of our series we've been in with the book of Acts. It's been super cool. Lots of cool information, so much history has come out, the stories of the gospel and how, the, how this whole, how it started then and now we're here, we're standing here in a strip mall and we're still, we're still building Jesus' church like he commanded. If you are new and you're unfamiliar with scripture or the book of Acts, basically it is a historical account of the things that happened after Jesus rose from the dead. He tells them all, hey, go and start telling everybody about me and build my church uh, he says that to Peter, and that's what they do. All these, apo- these disciples turn into a- apostles, which is a fancy word for being filled with the Holy Ghost and called to move in a certain direction. Um, it's really neat stuff. You, you hear about all these things that happen. The ch- house churches are being built. Things are happening. People are getting saved. There's miracles going on. It's all in there. And the thing is, this stuff is, this is happening like, I'd say, 40, 35, 40 A.D., things really start to ramp up. There's persecution, and the biggest player of the early church of persecution was this guy, Paul, um, whose name was Saul. You, you hear about him having this amazing uh, vision of Jesus. He's riding a donkey headed to Damascus. He's been persecuting this new church, and he has this overwhelming vision where he gets knocked off his horse. It's amazing. Uh, but his, that's his story, and Derek alluded to it last week. Uh, we made it all the way to Acts 22, so we're going to be in 23 through about 26 and finish this baby out. Um, but before we jump into that, I do, I do want to say something about Derek Harmon. You guys just met him, right? Um, I, and I said he did a good job. But uh, a few months ago, we were here on a Wednesday night. And I've, the staff has heard this story, but you guys haven't heard it. We were here on a, on, a, on a Wednesday night. Mary Beth was on maternity leave. So we were doing some extra duty. We'd been in a series with our young people. Wednesdays is when we have our, our, our youth gatherings, right? And so it was my turn to speak. I was up. And uh, I was, we, we were at the end of this series, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to do one of those, you want to get saved uh, speeches, you know, preacher style. Like, if you want to give your life to the Lord, raise your hand. There's like 30, uh, 40 middle school and high school kids, and this is where this guy wants to go. Like, if you, so, but I was nervous, like, you know, like, because if you do the, do you want to get saved, and it's a room this side, and no one raises their hand, they're like, oh, it's, this guy stinks at the preaching stuff, you know? <laughs> But it just so happened to be that's where we were at, and Derek was there that night, and he was actually leading worship with the band. So if you've never been on a Wednesday, you should come and check it out. Uh, we'd, love, we'd love for you to come be with our students. But basically, it's the same similar thing. We play a bunch of games, have a bunch of fun. We give a message, and then there's a, a worship thing. And just like when you see the band come up, like they get their cue to come up at the end of a message, we give them the cue. So I'm, I'm up there, and I'm doing my thing, you know, trying to be a funny guy with his teens. They don't laugh anywhere near as much as you guys do. Um, <laughs> But I'm giving him the, you know, I'm getting ready, and Derek knows. He knows what, he knows the cue, and he's up here, and I'm almost there, you know, and he's putting his guitar on, and out of the, I I hear him just before I'm about to get to this point, I can hear him praying intensely, like for these kids, because he knows them. He knows their names. He knows who they are. He knows who their parents are, and I can hear him, like, seeking the Lord in prayer as he's getting his guitar ready. And I was, I was so humbling because it's like, this guy is the pastor of this church, but he cares about all of the, the church. Every single student, your student, your kids, he cares 
Like he's not just up here just as much as he cares about what happens here on Sundays. He cares about these kids. And uh, it was humbling for me. And uh, he's one of the most smart, humble people I ever met. And that's a hard comment. Smart people and humble don't usually fit together very well. But that's who he is. He's a, and that's the guy we got. And he's, a, he's done that for my children. I think that's why we stayed in this church is because he loved my children and youth. He loved my family well. And uh, I'm just glad to call him my friend. Huh? Raise? What do you say? No, inappropriate. Inappropriate time to bring that up. Totally kidding. But just so you know, six kids raised their hand to give their lives to Jesus that night. So I'm pretty fired up, if you can't tell. I might do that today. You better be ready. I might give the whole heartbeat beat and I'll set you up. You ready? Here we go. Just kidding, sort of. All right, we're going to be in Acts 23, all right? This is about, here you find Paul in Jerusalem, uh, He and a bunch of stuff happens. Well, let me recap what Derek talked about last night. He's arrested. He's in Jerusalem. There's this big, they want to talk to him. He tells his story. Again, his story is, I was against Jesus, and then he knocked me off my horse, and he, he called me. He changed me. I can't get away from this thing. Look how much I'm doing the arms. Um, I watched myself, you know, on, on YouTube. You have to, like, work on this stuff. I had no idea how many times I do this with my arms. I can't believe no one brought that up. It's so weird. But anyway, he uh, gets knocked off the horse, and he, it's so crazy. He tells a story. They want to beat him up. He tells his, 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 this is what happened to me. Like Gerald said, it's a fancy Christian word for testimony, right? He's the smartest guy, arguably the most educated of all the early church. He writes two-thirds of the New Testament. When he gets thrown in front of the crowd, he, could, he, could do, he has all the head knowledge, all the spiritual knowledge. But what does he do? His defense, like Derek taught last week, is his testimony. This is what happened to me. This is Jesus, this is, and I can't shake it. And this is all I can talk about, right? Well, guess what? Everybody freaks out. It's so bad uh, and there's a number of reasons why people freak out, and we'll get into that. But the Roman soldiers have to protect them. They don't know what to do. Uh, and Paul, and what you find here over the next, from 23 to 28, Paul spends the next about four to five years incarcerated. He's in prison. And he's constantly being pulled out and, being, and brought in front of this council, brought in front of this governor, brought in front of this king, constantly giving an account of what the, these followers of the way, Right? And Paul was always being accused of being a dangerous social revolutionary. And so was the early church. But in actuality, they weren't. The only thing they could be accused of is not going with the way of the culture, not being going with the status quo. They were become followers of the way, not the way of the world. And it sounds very similar to what we're dealing with, right? Paul says something and they want to, man, cancel culture wants to get them. And they, eventually they do. They start, to, they start to persecute to the point of death. Right, so Paul's, Paul's in Jerusalem, and we are in Acts chapter 23. I've got to move all my notes around. Uh, so here's, here's where we are, 23, uh, the Roman commanders, everybody freaks out. They call this meeting with the Sanhedrin. This is just a governing body, about 71 uh, Jewish ruling members. From the, and they, it's really a lot of political and spiritual authority mixed together, but they were underneath the uh, Roman authority so he's like, the commander's like, what, why are these people freaking out about this guy? Let's get everybody together where I can control the situation, and we'll, we'll, we'll do it. So everybody's there, and listen to what happens in verse 6. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and other were Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, My brothers, I am a Pharisee descended from Pharisees. I stand on trial because of the hope of the resurrection of the dead. 
The Sadducees say there is no resurrection and there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisee believed all things. There was a great uproar. Some of the teachers of the law were uh, Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or angel has spoken to him? A dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down, take him away by force, and bring him into the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood near to Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify about me in Rome. So big, big picture here, what I want to pull out of there. He says, he's our, the, the day before, he tells his Damascus Road story. The next thing he says, look, I know why I'm on trial. I'm on trial because I believe in the resurrection of the dead. And that is the marker. If you're a Christian, if you believe in Jesus today, if they, they want to put us on trial for the same thing. Because what is it? Everybody likes Jesus. We love the guy. We like his, some of his message. We like the humanity of Christ. But if he raises from the dead, something changes. Divinity becomes involved. And what happens when divinity is involved? If Jesus raises from the dead, that maybe, maybe, just maybe, I have to be accountable for the sins of my life. There must be something greater than just doing whatever you want. And nobody wants to talk about that because it's so uncomfortable to think about, man, what if my sins really do separate me from God? That's the preacher stuff, right? Everybody instinctively knows that's what you're supposed to say, but what if my sin condemns me before God? If God is holy, what if it condemns me? We don't like that. It's uncomfortable. Hence the freak out. They freak out, and what you see is it's not just only the fact that he brings up this resurrection from the dead, but there's a bunch of national prejudice going on. There's it's, it's, very, it's, it's cancel culture. They freak out. They don't like the fact that Paul's ta- creating his, this whole new religion, the way. He's preaching about a human being divine, and he's telling the Gentiles. These people were prejudiced. They had racism, just like we do. They didn't like the fact that he was doing all this stuff and going outside of what they thought was the right way, so they try to kill him. It says it was so bad that soldiers have to go in and snag him again. I mean, we're talking, they put him, they put him in, in Herod's palace, the one in, in Jerusalem, and I mean, it's crazy. The, the rest of the, the chapter talks about how there's this plot to kill him. Paul has a sister, sis, his, her sister hears about it. She goes and sneaks and tells Paul. Paul gets the commander, commander tells him, guess what the commander says? So think about how, I mean, we, we're not there, but imagine how intense this is. What the commander does is he gets 200 horsemen, uh, 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 sev- or 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to, to take Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea, which is 60 miles away. It's the military and civilian capital of Judea. This is where the governor of this region is, Governor Felix. He's like, we got to get out of here. This is so crazy. We got to move him. He does it in the middle of the night. They said they leave at 9 o'clock. I like the details of that verse. In verse 23, it talks about the, uh, the, the soldiers, but spearmen, like why did they, Luke wrote this book, why did he, I mean, all I can think is like the, the guys, run, like they're running through the dark with the spears, like, all right, horses first, you know, I got the spears from the back, I mean, I don't get like why, like why, you know, that's a long way to go, you know, with just the spears, but this is intense, like the spear guy's got a long journey, 60 miles a long way, I mean, I'd rather be the horse guy, because you get to go, you get to go the distance with the horses, um, but yeah, they're, they're headed to Caesarea, and they're going to go see Felix, Right, like he's like, we got to get out of this situation. It's bad. So when he gets to Caesarea, we're like 57, 58 A.D. 
uh, for historical reference, about 70 AD is when the Colosseum is built. And you know what happens in the Colosseum. Christians get burned and fed to lions and tigers and ripped apart. We're not that far from this, this intense persecution happening. All right, let's keep going. So we are now uh, in Caesarea. It's been five days later. He gets there five days later. All those same guys from Jerusalem make their own trek. They got, they got parts of the Sanhedrin. They got people from different councils. And now they bring a fancy lawyer with them this time. And they're going to do the same thing. They're going to accuse him of, of treason against the Roman government. This time in front of the governor of the region, Felix, all right? So in Acts 24, um, he does the same thing. And I want you to watch what happens. Every time you tell your story with Jesus, if you have one, when you tell your personal story, it, somebody is drawn into it, right? Uh, somebody is, is, is changed or curious about it. Like a lot of you guys don't know, and I want you, we'll, we'll jump back into 24 in a second, but you know me, you've seen me up here a couple times if you go to this church, but you don't know my story. When Derek was talking last week about uh, his experience with Jesus and our story and Paul, it made me start thinking about my story and how I got saved and my, my Damascus Road experience. I had one. Jesus came into my life at 14, and I've never been able to do anything else but try to figure out who he is. It's, it's just, it just it changed me. I'm 14 years old. We lived in Minnesota. We moved to Jacksonville, Florida. It was a terrible time. I don't want to spend a lot on the details. Very difficult time for me. Everybody has a hard time with a teen, but I had to grow up fast as a 14-year-old. I had to start doing things to t- help take care of my family as, just a, as a kid, and it was tough. And my grandparents lived here. They went to a Catholic church in Mandarin. My grandma wanted us to go to a youth event at the Catholic church. You do what your grandma wants you to do, right? So she, me and she, we don't tell her no. She, we go, and, I don't, and it was a two-day thing. A Saturday night, it goes to Sunday, or, or Friday, Friday night goes to Saturday uh, lunchtime. We show up. I'm being 100% honest with you. This, this is my experience. I don't really remember anything much about it. I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. We don't, there wasn't a lot of kids that we knew. We didn't live in Mandarin. But we get to Saturday, and the, they don't, there's no altar call like I was talking, right? Nothing. It's just these priests get up at the end, and they're wearing the vestments, and all they said is, if you want prayer, this is, I'm telling you the honest truth. And I remember sitting out there knowing this is coming, thinking, I don't want to go up there. I, ha- I, don't, I, don't, I don't want any, I don't know these people. I don't want them to touch me. But as they, as they made the call, to just simply do you want prayer? No, here's the gospel. Get saved. None of that. But as he begins to say that, man, my heart, I, I, could, I had this overwhelming sense that I needed to get up and go up there. So I'm sitting there as a 14-year-old, and I can, I'm feeling this, this weight, this reality starting to swirl around me as a kid. I just stand up out of my seat. I start walking down the aisle, and I go right towards this speech, uh, priest, and he was a Spanish priest. He, I couldn't even understand what he was saying. He broke in English. And I'm walking up there, and my heart's beating, and, all, and I'm thinking, I'm literally, I'm telling you, this is me. As I'm walking up there in my head, all I'm saying is, I want to believe, Jesus. I want to believe. If you're real, I, I want to believe. I'm saying that over and over as I, I get up in front of him. And he says something to me, and I can't understand a single word that he says. And he, I'll don't ever forget, he put both of his hands on my shoulders and bowed his head, and he began to pray. And I closed my eyes, and all I said in my heart was, Jesus, I believe. And I'm telling you, when I said those words, it felt like the door of my heart just ripped off of its hinges. And all this, uh, this, this flood of reality that there's, I'm not alone. 
that I've never been alone, that there's something bigger, that there's a God bigger that's been close to me, that's been wanting to come into my heart, and I was flooded with peace, and I was flooded with this reality that somebody loved me. And shockingly enough, I began to cry. You guys know. <laughs> oh, man, waterworks. But it was, it, was, it, was, it was like this cleansing. It's like every tear that fell from my, my eye was like a cleansing feeling. And I walked out, my grandfather, big old retired Pittsburgh policeman, sitting in his uh, car, I get in the front seat and I'm crying, and he's like, oh no, you know, like, he, does, he doesn't know, and that's what his voice, very deep man voice, the hugest nose I've ever seen in, on anyone. It was just the mass of his nose, maybe just because he had such a huge head, too. He kind of reminded me of Shrek, but he was super loving. Um, so my grandpa Shrek drives me home, right? And... Uh, we get, I get home, I tell my parents the whole story, like everything that happened to me. Again, I did, there was no, no altar call deal. My parents find a church in Palm Valley that was in a strip mall, just very similar to this. And we went, we checked it out, we went the second week, we had met the pastor that time. The second week we come, very similar to what we're sitting in, he, he bought me and my siblings Bibles, and I'll never forget his name was Daniel Williams. He handed me a Bible and he said, hey, start with the book of John. All the words in reds are Jesus' words. Whatever you do, don't start with the book of Revelation. <laughs> so what did I do? I went home and I started with the book of Revelation, right? Because that's what you should do uh, is not be obedient on the very first thing. But I went home and I, if you've never have ever read Revelation, the, whoo, there's, some, there's some eyeballs growing on wings and all kinds of crazy stuff. But I read, if you get three chapters in, I'm 14 years old by myself. There is no youth pastor, no preacher in my room. I get to uh, Revelations 3 and listen to this. This is Jesus's words. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person him with me. And I realized that's what happened to me. He'd always been there. Jesus was always close and lovingly, patiently, he knocked on the door. When I opened it, he came in. And when we have a meal with somebody, what do we do? We're not rushing. We're spending time together. We're enjoying something. He wants to enjoy time with me. This is Jesus. This is the gospel. This is the kind of savior we have in him. He knocks on the door saying, I'm not going to push it open. This is Christ. And I did, I knew that's, that was my experience. And I kept reading that scripture. John, I got all the way, and I can still literally to this day remember reading the words in red and feeling overwhelmed as a person. John 14, 19 says, before long the world will see me, will not see me anymore, right? Because And that resonated with me. I had no knowledge. I'm like, we can't see Jesus. But he says, you, you will see me because I live, you live also, Right? following Jesus, and I've never been able to get away from it ever since. I'm 41 years old, and this has been, he's just always been there. And I, that's, he was there before, he saved me that day, and every day I realize he patiently loves me and forgives me and waits at the door of my heart to let, let him in. That's my story. What's your story? Can you go back to the moment the scripture talks about your first love, when you first met Jesus, where Jesus came and knocked, knocked on that door and opened it and he came in and you realized your sins are forgiven. That he washes you. That he longs to love you and fill you with peace and work with you through your hurts. Because that's Christianity, right? We don't get away from hurting. We just get hope. In a nutshell, we're carrying hurt and hope. Yeah? 
This is that, that's it. That's what the followers do. We still hurt. We still struggle. We're still in this world, but we're no longer of it. We're from another kingdom. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's this kind of guy. Oh, sorry. Kind of jumped around in my nose a little bit. So we're back and we're, uh, we're there in Caesarea. The whole deal goes down. Remember the story. He tells a story again. He makes his defense. And look what happens. Acts 24 in front of Felix. It says um, several days later. So Felix hears this whole thing. And he's like, ah, these people are nuts. Send them away. Put them back in prison. But he was drawn in. Look what he does. He says, several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about the faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. This is amazing that this is in the Bible. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe so that he would send for him frequently and talk with him. When two years had passed, so he's been in prison for two years now in Caesarea, Felix was succeeded by Porcius Festus because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He left Paul in prison. Dude, crazy. What is Paul? He's telling them about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And what does is, what is Felix do? No, 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 no. I like the, the Jesus, the human Jesus, but you can't talk about the sin stuff. You can't talk about righteousness and that I, I have to have control over my life. And you can't tell me there's going to be a judgment. I don't like that. We don't mind the humanity of Christ. We struggle with his divinity. The world loves Jesus loves me. We all love that, right? We love that. We love that he's kind and full of grace. We're the ocean of grace. This is our This is our. Our vision, our banter, this is what we say every week we come up here. We love it. But even you and me, me included, we want to minimize sin. We don't want to be accountable. We don't want anybody to tell us that our sin is a big deal. We only want to do like Felix and take the convenient parts of Jesus' message. But the problem is the cross was not convenient for Jesus. Right? There's nothing convenient about that cross. So I want to show you guys a clip um, from an interview by a guy named Jordan Peterson. He's a psychotherapist, uh, very wise. He uses a lot of scripture in his uh, therapy sessions, and he's interviewing a very funny uh, comedian uh, by the name of Russell Brand. But this was just a few years ago. I think it was 2018 or 2019. But the whole, I just, I love this little clip because they start out talking, discussing politics, and it very quickly goes into the humanity and divinity of Christ. So check it out. <laughs> no, but what about, what I want to say is, like, I know you're saying all this thing about sort of good, the, the, one of the, uh, one of the essential themes, ideas about the Christ myth being, yep. you know, sort of burn away all that yep. cannot be reborn. But bloody hell, mate, in the actual language, all he bangs on about is kindness, kindness, love, love, kindness, mm. kindness, love, love. Not revelation. Hmm? Not in Revelation. He's a judge in Revelation. What, and are you still, you're still taking that as what? Books beyond the Gospels you're still taking as the word of Christ? Well, I'm taking them as part of the entire corpus of the story. Hmm. I mean, the reason that Jung thought Revelation was appended to the Bible was because the Christ in the Gospels was erred too, too much, in a sense, on the side of mercy and not enough on the side of judgment. Because here's, here's the sermon why. is there's important. A technical, there's a technical reason, though. 
It's like, we don't want a judgmental Jesus. Well, you don't have a choice. Because if you have an ideal, it's a judge. We don't want a judgmental Jesus either. I like how he, I mean, he is. We like to love, love, kindness, kindness, grace, grace. This is what the world, we all get that. But again, the message is Christ rise from the dead. He's a resurrected king. We sing that here. He went from a savior to a king when he resurrected. He's the king of kings. And he sits on a throne, and a throne that, that does not minimize sin, right? Today's Christian view, I, I feel like we're afraid to draw this conclusion that sin is a big deal. Unrepented sin in the Christian life is a big deal. No one wants to say that the whole reason that Jesus died on the cross is because sin is a big deal. It's the deal. Sin is the deal for us. If we don't wrestle with this now, we can't see the gravity of God's wrath, and we can't, we can't see the depths of Jesus' agony on the cross. For, sin, for, for humans, sin is what separates us from God. Make no mistake, Jesus himself, this, this loving kind Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. He didn't say that lightly. And if we take sin in our lives lightly, we diminish his sacrifice. If we take sin lightly, if I take sin lightly, I diminish the cross. So some of you are out there going, oh my gosh, this is a sin talk. It's spring break. We're supposed to go to Disney in two hours. We should have went earlier. I know, man, let's keep going. It'll get a little bit worse, but I promise I'll make it a little bit better. <laughs> it's like sin talk. It's the first day of spring break, you know? So again, two years, he's in prison. He's writing the books of the New Testament, a lot of them, as this is going on. He's in there. He's penning them. If you read through the whole thing, we don't got a lot of time. There's Philemon is one New Testament book. It, he writes it to this guy whose name starts with O. I can't pronounce it. He was a slave. He writes it, gives it. He said, bring it back to the slave master. The slave master was Philemon. You can read that in the text. It's super cool. So as he's in this incarcerated state over year after year, year he's writing what we, we quote for the last 2,000 years. It's amazing. So new governor, uh, Governor Festivus for the rest of us. Um, hey, Seifel, I can't read it without thinking of uh, uh, Festivus for the rest of us. I was so glad somebody laughed at that because it's so dumb. Um, but again, he knew governor, Festivus for the rest of us. Paul does what he does. He uses some of his knowledge of scripture and everything, but he tells a story. I said, I, he says, I've been changed by Jesus. I've had a vision. And uh, donkey, Damascus, this new guy's like, man, I don't want to deal with this guy. And all these people are still, so all this years, these, these years pass, and they're still accusing him of stuff, and they just, they're just like, man, I don't, I, he needs to go see somebody else. He needs to go see a king. So there was a king in that area. His name is Agrippa. Now listen, Agrippa, you're getting ready to read about him. He was the great-grandson of Herod the Great, very famous in Scripture. Um, and he was a darling of the capital of Rome. Claudius, the, the emperor, loved him. He lived with him, grew up with him. And he shows up in this, he's coming to Caesarea because Festivus says, hey, you got to, I don't know what to do with this. I, I need some help. And he shows up with his sister, Bernice. This is what Josephus in Jewish Antiquities writes about these two. Um, he Accompanying his sister, Bernice, a year younger than she, she was engaged to a guy named Marcus who was a philosopher. Uh, she broke it up with him so that she could marry her uncle, who was king of Chalices. He died. She returned to live with her brother, Agrippa, and engaged in incestuous relationship with him. 
This gained her notoriety in both Palestine and Rome. I bet it did. I bet everybody was talking about that. So this, he's the king. He's the darling of the, of the capital over in Rome. He gets his own little puppet kingdom over near Judea, and now he's uh, married-ish to his sister. This is the audience. This is the guy Paul is getting ready to go before, and he does the same thing. He tells of his encounter, and listen to this, right? Uh, verse 19 of Acts 26. So then, this is Paul speaking. He gets an audience to say, so, so then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and Judea, and then to the Gentiles. Ready for this? I preach they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Oh my gosh, I don't think I ever remember reading that in the Bible. Demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. What's another word for deeds? Maybe acts or works? Could it be called the book of deeds or the book of acts? This is so uncomfortable. I'll leave this. uh, That's a whole other message Derek could talk about that. Um, Take a deep breath again. You're like, God, give me SeaWorld over sin and works talk. I don't, I don't want to, that's uncomfortable stuff. You're, you're, regret, you're regretting uh, listening to this stuff. So I told you I'd make it better. I'm going to tell a story about puppies. Nobody wants to hear about sin. We'll just talk about puppies because everybody loves puppies, right? We got a pandemic puppy. His name's Milo. He's what you call a Catahoula leopard dog. Uh, don't get one. Very beautiful animal, but he was this little guy, and we first got him. He was so cute. He has these neat-looking eyes, and this dog does this thing where he leans up against you, right? Like he just, he puts all his weight up against you real tight. When he was little, wasn't that big. He's nine months old now, and he weighs 70 pounds, and he just leans like he's leaning, almost like a cat. Like, you know how cats will do? He's giant, and he just, well, we find out that these, this type of dog does what they call the Catahoula lean, and he leans up against you just longing for you to pet him. He doesn't actually, you know, talk to you because dogs can't talk. Like, please pet me. But this, he's just pushing up against your body and he's just trying to melt into your leg. And it's, it's so, like, you want to pet him. You want to love, love him. He's longing uh, for you to pet him, right? He's a puppy. He's a pandemic puppy. He needs love. And uh, the rest of the verses, guess what? Agrippa doesn't know what to do with Paul. He says, you're go- he says, you're going to uh, Rome. And that's where Paul ends up. If you keep reading the rest of the, the chapters, guess what happens? There's a shipwreck, and I could, I could end this whole thing on, if you've ship- shipwrecked your life, God's got you. Because uh, Paul gets shipwrecked, him and Luke, on the way to, to, to see the emperor. And he goes, he's going to get an audience with the emperor, right? Um, but here's the truth. Here's the truth for this morning. All right? These are my points. This is what I got up here to say. The ocean of grace flows from the cross. It flows. The ocean of grace flows from Jesus's veins. Out of his great love, God gave us Jesus. And here's the deal. Sin is a big deal. It's what Jesus died for to take away my sins and your sins. But here is the truth. No amount of good works, deeds, or acts is going to take care of this for you or me. It's only about the act, the deed of Jesus, the cross, his act, his deed, his work up there on Calvary was the only thing that can save me. It's the only thing that offers me hope. It's the only thing that can cleanse me and keep me from the condemnation that I deserve. I should be judged for the sins that I've done. You should be judged for the sins that you've done. They separate you from God. 
But God's grace is so big. His love is so big. He lives. He lives. And now picture, I picture Jesus, this is Jesus. I picture him not just knocking on the door of the, of the heart, but leaning, leaning against that door, longing to let, to just open the door. He's a patient savior. And he longs to be near you, to wash you, to cleanse you, to give you peace, to whisper in your ear, today you're with me. Today you're with me. To, to tell you face to face in your heart, your sins are forgiven. Have you done that? If you're in this room and you're a Christian, tell your story. Tell people in. They're, they will be drawn not to your knowledge. They'll be, they'll be drawn to the Jesus in you. Tell your story. Tell them that the cross frees you from the law that says that your deeds will save you, that your acts will save you. Tell them that Jesus has always been there. He's always been near you. He's always been near your heart, knocking, longing for you to come in, for you to, to let him in. I will say this too. Don't be afraid to demonstrate your repentance, but don't forget when you fail, when you are weak, it's never been about your acts. It's about his act, the cross. And he died for you. But because he lives, like he said, like Paul said, he resurrected from the dead. He gives us hope. He gives us a hope for eternal life. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, this is the same guy that's been writing all this stuff we've been talking about. He says, but he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more glad, glad, gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest in me. That's Jesus. He, he longs for us to rest in him, to be close to him. And I got to do it. I'm saying it. If you're in this room and you don't have a story, you haven't had that death to life experience, I'm here to tell you with all of my heart and soul, he's he's right there. Jesus, your whole life has been leaning against the door of your heart, longing for you to open it. Don't hold back. If you're in this room and you need Jesus, I'm telling you, open that door. Let him in. Confess your sins to him. Let him change you and make you whole, because that's what he longs to do. Go ahead and stand. We're going to pray. Father God, we magnify you and we praise you, Jesus. I pray that you would come to our hearts, God. I know that you're already there. If any of us are feeling that knock, are feeling that intense lean from the Holy Spirit, God, give us strength to open it. In Jesus' name.